If you've never read the book of Acts, I encourage you to read it. Uh, it's, it's pretty uh, intense. It's also uh, pretty comical at times. And sometimes you'll read it and go, wow, did that really happen? Um, and what Acts is, is basically, it's called, uh, the longer version is called the Acts of the Apostles. Basically, Jesus had these 12 disciples. They, uh, they, Jesus went to heaven. The, they, they basically, the, all that, that was left was them. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. This church starts. In one day, 3,000 people join the church. There, and basically, they didn't know what to do themselves. And so they had to have God's help. And God directed them. And within their lifetime, the whole known world uh, was told about the message of Jesus Christ. It's pretty awesome, all in like 26 chapters. That's pretty great. So we're going to be going through them for the next several, mo- uh, several months, uh, this book. And uh, we've already talked about a few things. And I've been so excited about what we've been talking about. Last week, uh, we, we discussed uh, how this early church, or these very first believers, uh, realized their need for community. And we call it spiritual community. And we realize that these early believers or this first church, they helped each other. They were there for each other. Uh, they ate together. They, they played together. They cried together. They did everything together uh, because they believed that together they were much stronger than individually. Um, and as a church, they didn't just come on a Sunday and say, hi, bye. Uh, they, got in part, uh, they got involved in each other's lives. And when people were in need, they helped their needs. And, and I was really challenged last week, just myself, as, as I presented to you what I, I believe this early church did in, in, in myself, how I needed to just help people more with their needs, pray for people more, be there for people more, help them meet those, those needs. Well, today we're going we're, we're gonna to look at something just a little different. And if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 2. How many of you, when you went to school, enjoyed going to school? Some of you are like, ah, school, I hated school. Like hardly any of you enjoy school. I mean, what is the matter with you people? I'm I'm one of those, I did not like school. I could not wait to get out of school. And I look back now and think, man, school was the best days ever. I mean, you think of all that vacation you got, you know, you got out at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, But I remember being at school. And there were some events that just stick in my mind, and I really can't shake them. Some people like school, some people hate school. Some people do well at school, some people don't do well at school. I was like that average student, you know? I'm like, I wasn't the best, I wasn't the worst. But there's some people who, they just really are, are not good at school. And the reason for that is, is because schooling, um, or the, the schools that we go to, are all done in, in an academic way. And so for those of you who are like hands-on people, you may have not done as well at school. Because you have to uh, write, and you have to use calculators, and you have to like know how to spell things. And some of you who are like hands-on, you... Don't know how to write. I don't know. Something like that. But at a young age, we are told that if we don't do well at school, then we're not going to succeed at life. And uh, a lot of you are parents. You know that you are pushing your kids to do well at school. You want them to go to a good college because you know in the culture that we live, if you don't do well at school, then the chances are that you may not succeed in life. Well, the purpose of schooling is basically to teach and instruct important lessons and principles as we grow older uh, in order to bring us to 
the standard of knowledge that we need in this culture in order to survive in this culture. And we would probably define a school as an institution or a place that educates. Now, when I was in sixth grade, and I really don't like to think back when I was in sixth grade because I had a really bad hairdo and uh, I, like, you know, just did not cope well at sixth grade. But I remember we were sitting there in English class one day and we had the greatest teacher in the world because she made every one of us read out loud. And for those of you who don't like to read, uh, you know my pain because she started, we were reading the 101 Dalmatians. I'm like, can we just watch the movie instead? But no, we had to read the book. And she, the, the teacher asked the, the really like, intelligent students who were great readers to start to read first. And, uh, and then she would go around and I counted what paragraph I had to read. And so, I've start, so I'm not even listening to what other people are reading. I'm just reading my paragraph like, do I know the words? Is there any long words? I know. And I get to this and I'm so like, my hands are so sweaty, they're clamming up. And I start to read and I read like four sentences and the teacher stopped me. And she says, that is the worst piece of reading I have ever heard in my life. And I'm like, whatever, you know, I mean, I didn't care. Um, But, you know, as a a sixth grader, that kind of stuck with me for a while. And I look back at it now and I laugh because uh, I I like stand in front of people on a Sunday and talk and I have to read the Bible in front of people. And I sometimes butcher some names in there at times. But, you know, I think it's funny and I love to read now. But back then I hated it because uh, this woman, she would just like, all this, uh, she would just uh, uh, look down on you like it would be like a, a dragon breathing fire, and you'd be like, I can't read. You know, and that's sometimes when we think of education and we think of teaching, we kind of have that view of schooling. And some of us love it, some of us don't like it. Let's be honest school isn't for everyone even though everyone has to go to school. And I, I honestly don't believe, and, I'm, and we'll get into the Word of God in a minute, but I honestly don't believe that kids do bad at school because kids aren't intelligent. I honestly think that some kids respond well to academics and others respond better to other types of teaching. So as we continue in the book of Acts today, in the book of Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says this, It says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, when I hear this word teaching, I think back to Mrs. Smith, my sixth grade English teacher. And I start to think, ah, teaching, I hate teaching. But the reality is, the Bible says that every one of the believers, these new believers... They devoted themselves to some kind of teaching. Now, at first glance, for all those who did not like school, you're probably like thinking, oh, man, do I really have to listen to somebody teaching? Do I really have to go back to like that school environment? 
And when I started to read this, I started to think at first glance, it almost looked like all these believers kind of quit their day jobs and went back to school. They started a great Sunday school at church, uh, and that they had like loads of donuts and things like that, and they came in and they all taught together. Uh, it, it makes me think that maybe they started a, a seminary, or, or they all became these like scholars and theologians, and they knew the Bible like the back of their hands, and, and, and somebody would quote a scripture, and then they could quote another one, and your head's spinning because people are quoting scriptures everywhere. And that's kind of what I think sometimes when I, when I read this. But the reality is, that wasn't the case for these early believers. And so often in church, we have this, this thing where on a Sunday morning, I stand up here or, or somebody stands up here and teaches the word of God to you. And I think that's biblical. And I think that's what happened in the Bible. But that wasn't the only teaching that was going on. And, and so as we see this, we see, firstly, it says that, These believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, that can be defined in a different way. So take your view of teaching out and let's try to construct what they really meant by teaching. The word teaching here in the Bible has another definition. It's also called doctrine. Now, for those of you like church people, you're like, oh, doctrine. He said the word doctrine. But that's basically what it means. Another way of defining it would be instructing others in the way to view God and to view the Bible. You know, to the old Jewish folks who this early church were, they used a term. It was called a yoke. A yoke. And what a yoke was, it was basically somebody's uh, view or somebody's instructions on how to view the Bible or how to view God. And so what would happen is a rabbi would come along and he would have his yoke or his doctrine, his view of interpreting the scriptures. And so uh, for those of you who know some, some scriptures, you may think of the one scripture where Jesus said he, said, he says, come unto me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what Jesus was saying, he was basically saying my view of scripture or my view of God, my doctrine, my teaching is easy to understand. And it doesn't require you to do much. Because what would happen is these rabbis would come and they would say, you would have to do this and this and this and this to be right with God. And Jesus came along and he says, my yoke or my doctrine, my instruction, my teaching is easy. Because it's all about what God has done for you, not what you have done for God. And so in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 28, it says this. It says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, and Jesus had given a lot of parables and and different teachings, he said the crowds were amazed at his teaching. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. Basically, the Bible uses exactly the same word as what it does in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They were amazed at Jesus' doctrine. They were amazed at Jesus' yoke. They were amazed at Jesus' instructions on how to live out the word of God. And then in Matthew chapter 22 and verse uh, verse 33, it says, when the crowds heard Jesus, they were astonished at his teaching. 
or they were astonished at his doctrine, at his yoke, at his instruction of how to live out the word of God. And it's exactly the same words as what was used in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. So these early believers, they decided to learn and take on the way that the apostles would interpret the scriptures. Not so that they could all be scholars. Not so they could all be brainiacs and people come in their church and were, hey, look how intelligent I am. But the reason they devoted themselves to this is because they wanted to fulfill the purpose of the church. Their hearts had been turned upside down by what God had done in their lives. And they wanted to know more about God. And they wanted to join with other people. And they wanted to grow together. Remember, these people, these early, these early Christians, they were actually Jewish. And they had followed their Jewish customs all their lives. And they had never heard the teachings. Many of them had never heard the teachings of what we now know as the New Testament. And so they never heard of the teachings of Jesus. They never heard the teachings of basically loving one another, loving God and loving your, your neighbor. They never heard uh, about uh, the Good Samaritan or, or the parable of the sower and things like that. They had not heard of those things. There was no New Testament at the time. All they had were the words of Peter, James, John, and the rest of the disciples. And so what this early church did, they decided that they would take on and learn the instructions that Peter, James, and John, and the rest of the disciples gave to them. Then it says, it says that they also devoted themselves to these teachings. I actually like... Uh, I, I used to years ago read the uh, King James Version of the Bible. And uh, about five years ago, I realized uh, I don't really understand this very much. So I switched translations. And I kind of switched translations like every two years or something like that just to keep things fresh. But I really like what the King James Version says here. They don't say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The King James Version actually says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Basically means they lived out these instructions and they did not waver from them. They didn't listen to other teachings. They didn't try to argue the teachings. They didn't compromise the teachings. But they continued to, and followed them wholeheartedly. They devoted themselves to these instructions. Now, the reality for us now is that you do not have to come into a church service to learn about the Bible. In fact, you could learn all about the different doctrines and the different teachings and the different instructions just from sitting in your computer at home. In fact, you could actually log on this morning and, 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 and watch multiple church services online and listen to all different people teach. You do not need to come here to listen to the Word of God. And let me be honest, there's lots of people out there who are probably way better at teaching than I am. But the reality is, is that they did not come to church in order to gain knowledge. They did not devote themselves to the apostles' teaching to gain knowledge. The early church was not a school. 
So when you think teaching, don't think school. It wasn't a place to educate. And this morning, if you've come in to Generation Church in order to gain academics in Christianity, I tell you this morning, this isn't the place to do it. This is not the place to do it. There's plenty of schools, plenty of seminaries. There's plenty of online things. If you want to gain academics, you can do that. Why? Because the church is not a place to gain a degree. And these people weren't there just to gain a degree. In fact, the church is a group of believers who come together, who have one purpose. And the purpose is this, to go and make disciples. That's our number one purpose as a church, to go and make disciples. Jesus says to the disciples, he says, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so everything that we do, everything that we teach, every sermon that we preach has to be about developing disciples and making disciples. It has to be about reaching more people for Jesus Christ and then taking those people and walking with them on their journey of faith. It's about helping people discover the love, the hope, the peace of God. It's about diving deeper into our faith to increase our faith. It's about being able to function as a body, as a whole that works together in unity. And this is what these early believers did. The Bible says all of them, every one of them, devoted themselves to the instructions of the apostles. Why? So that they would all be on the same page. So they're all cliche. They're all singing from the same song sheet. So they're all on the same wavelength. You know what this is? This is unity in action. And this is discipleship in action. Unity in action, discipleship in action. When they're together and they're growing together and they're developing together. Therefore, as a church, as a body, as individual believers, we have to come together for a purpose. And that is to help make disciples. So that we can then become bigger, better, more committed, healthier, holier, and bolder disciples of Jesus Christ. Because together, when we start to develop as disciples, we'll reach out to a world that is in darkness and that is lost, and we will be so much more effective in helping them discover that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, as I look upon faith and Christianity, I see four kinds of people, four kinds of people. You know, as I look upon my own life, from the moment I gave my life to Jesus Christ, to where I am right now in my life, I see kind of like three stages of my life going on. It's almost like I've sat in three chairs in my Christian walk. And if you can do math, four doesn't go into three. Not very well, anyway. And I think in my life, I've been one of those four people, and I've sat in three chairs. And the very first person I was, wasn't even sitting in a chair. 
I was somebody who wasn't even a believer of Jesus Christ. I didn't even know that Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. I knew, I'd heard, because I grew up in a Christian home, about what Jesus Christ had done for me. But the reality was, I had not accepted that into my life. And if that is you today, if you are somebody who has not accepted Jesus Christ into your life, then I believe there are three chairs of faith, and you are not sitting in one of them. What does that mean for you? It means that, You're not closer to God than somebody who just totally rejects God. What it means for you, it means that one day we will all appear before God and God will judge us for the things that we've done or haven't done in this life. And he will welcome some into his arms and the Bible says he will reject some. And if you're not sitting in one of these chairs, then you're going to be one of those he will reject. What it means for you, it means that you have to live this life trying to go by yourself all the time in your own energy, in your own power, instead of letting the the peace and the love and the hope and the faith of God direct you. But then one day, I decided to give my life to Jesus Christ. And as I gave my life to Jesus Christ, my life started to turn around. And I sat in a chair. Not literally, but figuratively. And I sat in a chair, and I became what was known as a believer. A believer. And what that meant, it meant that I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It meant that now I realized that Jesus was my Savior. He had died for my sins. And my sins, at one point, were taking me on a collision course with, with an eternity in hell. And now, because I had given my life to Jesus Christ, I was sitting in a chair that now was taking me on a collision course with God and with heaven. I knew God had given, had, had, had given his love to me. And now the spirit of God was living inside of me. And I couldn't wait to tell other people. Even though it was scary to do that. I knew that God wanted me to go and tell other people. Because I was a believer. I would then come to church and I would worship God. I would take part in communion. I would even go to youth group. And Sunday school. And take part in small groups because I knew that was part of being a Christian. In fact, this is who I was. It's found in, in John chapter, uh, chapter 2. And verse 35, it says, The following day, John the Baptist was standing with his two disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. They looked around and saw them following What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see me, he said. It was was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John had said. And he followed Jesus. 
Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, looking intently at Simon. Jesus says, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come, follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Then Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. I realized when I became a believer, I became one of these people. I believed in Jesus. And now my responsibility is to follow him and then go tell others about Jesus. And this morning, you may be standing up and you may not even be sitting in the seat in your faith. And today you have an opportunity to sit in that seat and become a believer of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, he said, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. If you believe that Jesus is the son of God and he has died for your sins and you repent of those sins, then you can be a believer. You know, I was a believer for a long time. I sat in that nasty green chair for a while. God started doing something in my life. And it was very slowly because I thought it was all about a ticket to heaven. Because that's what Christianity was all about, right? But then I started to realize it was way more than that. Way more than a ticket to heaven. God started working in my life. And it's almost like figuratively I got out of the green chair and I came and sat in the black chair. And one day I looked at my life and I realized, wow, I'm a disciple. I'm a disciple. And what what a disciple is, a disciple is someone who realizes that suddenly their life is not their own, but it is the Lord's. And that everything that they have in their life is God's. You start to realize that whether it's your, your money or your possessions or your family or your house or your career or your future, it's not about you It's about God. And you start to realize that you are now no longer just an individual, but that you are part of a church. And you are part of a a body of believers. And that you start to be involved in that church. And you realize that that church needs you to contribute in that church. It realizes that you no longer have to just believe in Jesus, but now you have to start to dive deeper into faith and start to believe things and understand things that the Bible teaches. This is who you are in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11. It says, there is much more that I would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. You have been believers so long that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you. Again, the basic things about the word of God. It says you are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature. Those who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. And I believe what happened one day in my life, I was so fed up of drinking milk that I started to drink or eat steak. And meat and chicken and vegetables. Started eating solid food. 
and what that was. That was just the principles of the Bible and, and going deeper in my, in, the, in, in my faith. It wasn't so much now about just going to church and believing in Jesus. It was now about living a life unto Jesus and what that meant for me. Started to realize that God had a purpose for my life. Because I became a disciple. And I was there for many years. I sat in this chair for many, many years. I even became a pastor. And went on staff at a church. And then another church. And I realized I was still a disciple. And then one day, God just started tugging at my heart. And I realized God was not satisfied with me sitting in the green chair or the black chair. But God wanted me to sit on the stool. The stool. And what the stool became, and I still sometimes sit in the green chair. I sometimes still sit in the black chair. But I'm trying to live my life in the stool. And what the stool is, the stool is, I one day realized I became a coach, a mentor. Somebody who would be a leader. To others. And most people in their Christianity never get into this chair. But those who are effective for the kingdom of God, those who want to reach others for Jesus Christ, those who want to see the kingdom of God established and expanded, have a desire to sit in this chair. Not because they want glory or not because they want, uh, they want people to look at them, but because they realize that it is their responsibility to go and reach a world for Jesus Christ. And so I came reluctantly and sat in this chair. I remember the day that we decided to plant this church was the day that my heart was just beating like crazy. I didn't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing. All I knew is I wanted to go sit on the couch and just relax. But God was just doing something in my life. And what I realized is that God wanted me to step out of my comfort zone and start to lead others. And somebody who sits in this chair is somebody who realizes that they have a responsibility. And their responsibility is to help make disciples. Not just be a disciple, but be a disciple maker. Be somebody who helps to reach out to others and develop others and bring others along with them. It is someone who sees a need and doesn't just tell others about that need, but realizes, well, I see that need, so I'm going to help fulfill that need. I'm going to meet that need. I'm going to get others alongside me and bring them along with me. And together, we are going to meet that need. It's somebody who sees maybe a ministry in a church that is missing. Or sees others who maybe aren't being developed as they should. And they take it upon themselves to go and do it. Because they realize that they don't just have to make a contribution. But now they have a responsibility because they are the church of Jesus Christ. The mentor. They act more like coaching others. And they realize that life isn't about them. But it is about others. This is who this person is. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. says, this is a trustworthy saying. 
If someone aspires to be an elder, he desires an honorable position. So an elder must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home, and he must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must marry and manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. For if a man cannot manage his own family or own household, how can he take care of God's church? An elder must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him or her so that they will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons must be well respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clean conscience before they are appointed as deacons. Let them be examined closely. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and he must manage his children and household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Jesus Christ. That's somebody who sits in this chair. Someone who may be an elder in a church, not elder age-wise, but spiritually helping others or a deacon, those who serve others and take responsibility. You know, at the beginning of 2013 as a church, we're going to be rolling out something called the chair. Now, we didn't steal it from Clint Eastwood, I promise you. We thought about it before Clint Eastwood did his whole chair thing. But we're going to roll out something called the chair. And it's going to be part of what we call our growth part of Generation Church. And basically what the chair is going to be, it's basically going to be, it's, it's going to be a pathway that's going to help you to develop or grow in your faith in Jesus Christ. And there's going to be three chairs, a believer, a disciple, and a mentor. And what we're going to do with this, we're going to help you grow in your faith, in your relationship, and in the things that you need to do. And as a pastor, my desire and my heart is that those who are standing and not even in the chair, my desire more than anything is that you will sit in this chair. Not because we just want to mobilize the world and take over the world, but because without Jesus Christ, your life is hopeless. But with Jesus Christ, your life means everything. But once you sit in this chair, my desire is that you stay in this chair for a little bit. You learn, you, 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 get, you get a feeling of what Christianity is all about or faith is all about. But then you get up and you move to this chair. And you become a disciple. And you start to grow and go deeper in your faith. And then my desire is that many of you will one day 
decide that you'll get out of this chair and you'll move over and sit in this chair. My desire is that we will plant churches. That we will go to other parts of the world and we will help. And some of you this morning, I honestly believe that God has got greater things for you than you could ever imagine. And some of you, you're new to the faith, but I just see in you so much things that God wants to do in your life. Whether that's starting a church, whether that's leading a ministry, maybe that's going to India or Africa and becoming a missionary. Whether it's starting a non-profit for Jesus Christ, I don't know. But God has got great things for you. And I believe there's many who are going to sit in this chair. You know, as a church, if we are not growing, then firstly, we start to rely on our own efforts. Which in turn always ends in failure. And secondly, it stunts our growth individually. And it stunts our growth as a church. And our goal in following Jesus is to become more like Jesus. And the way that we do this is to let our roots grow deep. So that as our roots grow deep, we will start to overflow with more love, with more hope, with more peace. That a lost and a dying world needs to hear. And the way these early Christians, they let their roots grow deep was devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. The way that we do it in the 21st century church is by devoting ourselves to the word of God and acting on the instructions and the commands that are listed in the word of God. And whether you are new to this church, whether you're new to the faith, whether you've been around this church for a while or you've been walking on this journey of faith for a while, whether you are performing the spiritual functions of an elder or a deacon. You know, I believe that God wants you to go deeper and deeper in the faith that you are walking in. Because he's got greater things for you. And as a church, we want to help you do that. You know, I read something a few months ago about oak trees. And I read it and I thought, wow. This would be perfect for this. I knew we'd be preaching this sermon. I thought this would be perfect for this sermon. You know, an oak tree will produce its first good crop or sit first good seed crop when it is about 40 or 50 years old. Can you believe that? Its first good seed crop after about 40 or 50 years. And acorn production varies. With trees sometimes producing very few in a given year. Large numbers of acorns are producing intermittently in what are known as mast years. And these occur occur every three to five years. Then a mature tree can produce up to 50,000 acorns. 50,000, that's a lot of acorns. The acorns are shed before the leaves fall and they begin to germinate almost immediately. And then leaf litter, which accumulates on top of them, provides protection from the frost and hides them from seed-eating animals and birds. But did you know, very few acorns produced by a single oak are successful in growing on to become a mature tree. 50,000 by a tree in some years, but very few of them. 
go on to become a big mature tree themselves. My desire is Generation Church will not be like that. My desire is that many of us will sit in this chair and then we will move to this chair and then we will move to this chair and then we will start to help others sit in that chair. And it will be like a big cycle because we will be disciple makers. And this morning as we close, I don't know what chair you'll sit in it. I don't even know if you're sitting in a chair this morning. And if you're not sitting in a chair, I invite you to come and sit in this chair. And give your life to Jesus Christ. If you know this morning that, that you are in that first chair, then I encourage you. Or I challenge you to do what you can to start to sit in this chair. And if you've been sitting in this chair for a while, then I encourage you and I challenge you to do what you can so you can get up and you can start being a mentor or a coach or or an elder or a deacon to this church and to others. Because one thing I know about the Christian faith is this. You can never stand still for long. You're always having to move and grow deeper and deeper and deeper. Let's pray.